So we are finishing up um, our sermon series going through the Sermon on the Mount called Kingdom Minded. And again, it's been looking at when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Matthew 4, 17. Uh, repent means a change of thinking that leads to a change of action. And so we've been seeing now if we're no longer living for ourselves, if we're setting our minds on the things above, then we've been looking at what is, how does that translate into action? How does that translate into living for Christ? And so that's what we've been looking at over the past several weeks between the Beatitudes and the attitudes we're supposed to have, between the commands He's given us that we are to obey, uh, between just the ways we give and the way we pray and just the way we fast. Uh, how we can't serve two masters. We need total loyalty and allegiance to Christ. And tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about how we are to not be anxious. We are to finish up our series, how we are to not be anxious about anything of what Christ, of what Christ commands us to. But here's the thing. We live in a world that gives us a lot to be anxious about, don't we? We, we look, if we look at the news every day, it's just, it's gloom and doom, it seems like. We see what's happening in the world around us and in our country and just even in sometimes our own community. And we get anxious, don't we? We get worried. Anybody like that? Or just sometimes we even get worried about sometimes even the littlest things every day, don't we? We'll get caught up in the littlest things, whether it be with school, whether it be with work, or whether it be with sports. We get caught up in just the weirdest, tiniest, worried little things. In fact, all, all embarrassing admit one, even just this morning, I remember just I laid out like my outfit for today and I was all set, I was ready to go. And I remember I was getting ready and I remember I put on like the little hoodie I was wearing and I remember it was, it was a little snug. It, let's say just hugged me a little too close. I was like, wow, this kind of shows off my stomach a little bit. And I got really worried. I got really worried. And I was like, I'm going to change my entire outfit just because of this one thing. But it's like I got so worried about a little thing that honestly, in the grand scheme of things, it, it really doesn't matter. But, but even in that tiny little moment, it, it shows that, that we as fallen sinful human beings, we're prone that, that, to worry. We're prone to worry about stuff. We're, we're prone to want to not only worry about things, but try to take matters into our own hands for these things. But what we want to see is that the gospel tells us the, the exact opposite of this. And so if you're following along in your notes tonight, the main point is this. To be kingdom-minded is to have complete faith in God and His provision. It's to have complete faith in God and His provision. That we look to God for everything. And by everything, I literally mean everything. Because as we're going to see in this passage tonight, He has provided for everything. And how that is such an encouragement for us. And that we know that He has provided for everything. And how He is sovereign over everything. Then that gives us courage to not be anxious. That gives us courage to not be anxious. But instead pursue Christ with all that we have. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. That we are in Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 through 34. So if you have your own uh, physical Bibles, that's where it will be. is Matthew chapter 6. Verses 25 through 34. If you have your notes, it's going to be on the back side of that too, so you can follow along. So if there's certain things that stick out that you want to circle or underline, draw arrows to, or take more notes, you can have that. But again, we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. So let's look at that together, okay? This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which by you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you as frail, fallen human beings just in desperate need of your grace. We, we come before you with hearts that can be so quickly overwhelmed with just the worries of today and tomorrow, with the worries of what's going on in the world around us and just um, in our world, in our country, community, and even in our own personal lives. But I just pray, Lord Jesus, just over these next few minutes as we look at your word, would you just free us from any distractions? Would you just free us up from maybe what's weighing heavy on our hearts and minds? Would you free us from our phones and even our own neighbors that we could just focus in on what you have to teach us through your word? Holy Spirit, we are so ill-equipped to understand any of this without you. So Holy Spirit, I pray, would you just cleanse us of any pride that could well up in us? Would you just be able to have our hearts just be exposed by the word of sins that we need to repent of, encouragements to, uh, truths to encourage our soul? Would you just let me be a faithful servant of the word you authored and inspired and just help me be just a proper herald of this message and that's it. Not my truth, not my words, but your unchanging, transforming truth. So Holy Spirit, would you just open up our eyes to see our need for Christ? Would you open up our minds to understand this passage? Would you open up our ears to hear the beautiful truth? And would you open up our hearts to receive this truth? that will be planted and bear fruit to conform us more into the image of Christ, more into the people of God you've called us to be and the family of God you've called us to be and continue to make Christ's name known. It's only by your grace we're able to do any of this. So I pray this time will be glorifying and honoring to you. I pray all of this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen. So what I want us to see in this is there's three truths that we are to understand. That if we are to have complete faith in God and His provision, then there's three truths that we are to draw out of this passage. And the first one is this, is that God provides for us in the present. God provides for us in the present. So again, at the beginning of verse 25, He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So a funny thing you can always remember is whenever you see a therefore, you want to know what is it there for? What is there for? And so this is following what we saw last week about how we are to lay up our treasures in heaven, not on earth. That we focus on the things of earth, as we saw last week, we're going to be constantly pursuing the things of earth and it will never satisfy. So we're to lay up our treasures in heaven, pursue Christ above everything else, because we cannot serve two masters. So when we are laying up our treasures in heaven, when our total loyalty and allegiance belongs to King Jesus, then we see, therefore, Jesus gives us this command. That we are to look towards heaven, we're not to look towards earth. And it says, do not be anxious about your life. We are to not be anxious about our life. That is, a that is not a suggestion, that is a command. That we are to not be anxious about our life. Anxious means to be worried or concerned with. 
that we're not to be worried or concerned with where we're going to eat or what we're going to wear or anything about our lives. In fact, this same thing of do not be anxious is the same type of sentiments we see in Philippians 4, 6, where Paul says, hey, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make all of your requests be made known to God. Or the same type of anxiety, it's mentioned in 1 Peter 5, 7, where it says, hey, cast all of your anxieties on to God because he cares about you. So he says, do not be anxious about your life and then gives a couple aspects of our life. What we're to eat, that's what it says in verse 25, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about even your body or what you will put on. So what we're seeing here is that we're to not worry about everyday things. We're to not worry about everyday things. Because then Jesus goes a step further, again, at the end of verse 25, is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing. He says that life is more than just food we eat and the clothes that we wear. Uh, this type of argument would be really well known with the disciples back in this day. So to give a little bit of just kind of historical background to this, this would be an argument that the rabbis would use at this time to encourage other people. So you talk about, let's say, something less. Something less means something greater can happen. So if God can take care of something small, then he can take care of something large. So if this lesser thing can be handled, then this greater thing can be handled, or the other way around. So that if God is able to handle the greater thing, then he's able to handle the lesser thing, or vice versa. And so we see from this is that if God is able to create life, then he's able to sustain life. Saying, so look, is, 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 is the world, is your life a lot more than food and clothing and everything else? That if I'm able to provide for food and clothing and everything else, aren't I, supposed, aren't I be able to provide for your entire life? Or even more so than that, if God is able to create this entire world that we see around us, isn't he not capable of being able to sustain this very world and everything in it on top of that? That we can see that God can provide all of this. And so if we see that God can provide every aspect of life down to the most minute detail, then that begs us the question for this. Do you believe that God is enough? Do you believe that God will provide what you need? Or do you focus so much on, on earthly, everyday things that you get so caught up in everyday life that it takes your eyes off Christ? Do you believe God can handle the big things as well as the little things? Because sometimes we think, okay, since God is this great, awesome, mighty God, then we're going to give all of these great and mighty, awesome things to Him, and He can handle it, but all these smaller things I'm going to try to handle on my own. Because God probably doesn't care too much about those. When in fact, God cares about every tiny aspect of our lives. In fact, I mean, He created us down to our very last detail. So if He created us down to our last detail, then He cares about every aspect and wants to provide for every aspect of our life. Again, that's why it says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all of your anxieties onto him. Not just all of your big anxieties or all of your small anxieties. No, cast all your anxieties on to him. So if life is much more than food and life is much more than clothing, then Jesus is going to give us two examples of how we're to see that, of how God provides in the present. And the first one we see is in verse 26, where he talks about the birds of the air. So let's look at what it says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? She's so saying, hey, look, these birds, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, yet God still provides for even the birds of the air. The birds of the air aren't flying around, obsessing over earthly things like, I don't know if I'll have enough stuff to make my nest today. I don't know if I have enough food to bring home to the kids. I don't know if I'll be able to take care of all of that. 
That they're not freaking out about that. Yet God still provides even for the birds of the air's needs. But also look at what he says. Look what he says provides for those birds. It says in verse 26, okay? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in abundance. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Your heavenly father feeds them. So Jesus ends this section about if, if your heavenly father is able to provide for even the birds of the air, he said, aren't you even more of value than the birds of the air? Because remember, back in creation, back in the Genesis account, when he created everything, when he created, let's say, the grass of the fields we'll see in a sec, or the birds of the air, he said it was good. But when he created Adam and Eve, when he created man and woman, he said it was very good. So if he is able to provide even for the good of creation, how much more will he provide for the very good of creation? How much more? If God is able to provide for the things of the earth that he pronounces good, how much more will he pronounce and provide for things he pronounces very good, such as you and I? Because here's the thing, if God is our heavenly father, as we see this, that means we have repented of our sins and we have believed in Christ and we have received salvation from him which means that God is, we know the lengths God is willing to go to provide for us. In fact, we know that he sent his only son to die, to pay the penalty for all of our sins for all of time. We see this echoed in Romans 8.32 where he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. So if God is able to handle our greatest worry about eternal separation from him and our sin debt that we cannot afford on our own, if he's able to reconcile us back, provide reconciliation back to him through Jesus Christ, then how much more will he be able to provide for us in the here and now with all of our smaller worries? Because honestly, everything in comparison to that is small. We look at our great need for salvation and how God provided his own son to bring reconciliation, then everything else we face on earth is so much smaller in comparison. So if we go by this greater and lesser, that if God is able to handle the greater, then he's able to handle the lesser. If he's able to handle the greatest thing that we have before us, our sin and reconciliation back to him, if he's able to handle that, then how much more will he provide and care for us in the here and now with our everyday worries? Because here's the thing, Jesus adds to this in verse 27. Look, he provides for the, the birds of the air. And then he says in verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? So with this reality in mind, knowing that God provides everything, I mean absolutely everything, he asks, how will anxiety and worry help us at all? If we're worrying about these things, how will that help us when we face these things? And the answer is that it doesn't. It doesn't help us at all. Jesus says it won't even add a single hour to our life. In fact, worry might even shorten one's life. In fact, we look at just a study of just effects of worry on someone's body. Here's just short-term effects that we will see. When we let worry overwhelm us so much, it could lead to dizziness, fatigue, headaches, inability to concentrate, irritability, muscle aches, muscle tension, nausea, nervous energy, rapid breathing, sweating, trembling, and twitching. And that's when we allow worry just to overwhelm us so much. And that can lead to long-term effects. Long-term effects are the suppression of the immune system, digestive disorders, muscle tension, short-term memory loss, or even heart attack. What we see is worry doesn't change the situation, but it does change us. And it's not for the better. That's why Jesus commands us, do not be anxious about anything. But we're to not be anxious about anything. Now, granted, 
Let me also add this. That doesn't mean that your worry is unwarranted. I don't want you to mean that your worry is unwarranted or that there's nothing to that either. There very much could be. It doesn't say we'll cast all of our anxieties onto him and then boom, everything's done. That there might be times we're facing worry before us, but are we facing or pointing our eyes to Christ and focusing on him through all of it? Because again, God cares about us. And we know that he's the only one that can handle it. We know we try to take matters into our own hands, it'll just make matters so much more worse. We rest him in God's hands. We know ultimately he'll work everything out for the good of those who love him for ultimately his glory. So we see he provides for the birds of the air and that worry can't add a single hour to our life. And then he gives us the second example in verses 28 through 30 about the lilies of the field. So let's look at verses 28 through 30. Where he says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So he's saying, look, not only consider the, the birds of the air, but consider the, the grass of the fields. Like they're so temporary, they're just here today and burn tomorrow, yet God clothes them so well. In fact, he said it's adorned. The grass is adorned more than even King Solomon himself. Now that is a wild thing to say because King Solomon had a lot. He had quite a bit of stuff. I mean, when he asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom, he was so well known. He had so much fame and fortune. In fact, this references to 1 Kings 10 where, where the Queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon just to even check all this stuff out. And she was blown away. It said she was literally breathless from all that he had, from the cupbearers, the servants, to what they wore. Yet, God, yet Jesus says in this that even the grass of the fields are adorned more than King Solomon himself. That if God is able to adorn and provide for the grass, which is only here for a short, temporary time, how much more will God provide for us with our souls, which lasts for eternity, and who are his beloved children? That's why Jesus says in verse 30 that if God even clothes the grass of the fields, which is of little value, it's literally here today and then burned up tomorrow, it's only here for a short time, then how much more will he clothe his follower, his child, secured eternally in Christ. That if he's able to clothe the grass of the fields, he's done such a greater thing of clothing us in the righteousness of Christ. Let me ask you this, this, this providing, how God provides for all these little details to the very end. Do you have this kind of faith in Christ? Do you have this kind of confidence that God will provide? Because here's the thing, it should encourage us knowing that we cannot provide. It should encourage us knowing that we cannot provide because ultimately we rest in the one who can. We rest ultimately in the one who can provide and the one who does provide. And then we look at the end of verse 30 where it says, Look, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. That's how Jesus ends this section. And this phrase, O you of little faith, is actually used several times in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus is interacting with his disciples. In fact, we see it in Matthew 8, 26, when there's this storm brewing all around the disciples. 
And they're in this boat and they're freaking out and Jesus is taking a nap. And they're like, Jesus, can you not, can you help us with this, please? Like, we're dealing with the storm. Can you please help us? And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith and rebukes and calms the storms in that very moment. Or Matthew 14, 31, where Jesus is walking on the water and Peter sees him and he says, hey, come, come step out into the water. And Peter's actually walking on water towards Jesus in the middle of this crazy storm. Then the moment Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and notices the storm around him, he starts sinking. And that's when Jesus comes and grabs him by his hand. And he says, why did you worry? Oh, you have little faith. And then in Matthew 16, 8, Jesus is actually talking to the disciples. Hey, don't be wor- you should be worried about the leaven that the Pharisees have. Of course, what he means by that is he's talking about you should be worried about the teachings of the Pharisees. You don't want to lump that in with the rest of your teachings because it could contaminate the whole. But of course, the disciples are thinking, oh, he's talking about actual bread. Like He's talking about actual bread. So he's like, Jesus, we don't have any bread with us. Jesus goes, you of little faith, have you not seen the thousands that we've been able to feed with just a few loaves of bread? And then I'm talking about the teachings of the Pharisees. Or in Matthew 17, 20, where Jesus even says, even faith, the size of a mustard seed, that God is even able to work with that. Now, when we hear these things, we think, man, like Jesus must be really scolding like his disciples in these. But in fact, in this, Jesus is not scolding his disciples. It's not a slap on the wrist. It's more of just an arm around their shoulder of saying, look, look up, look up to Christ. Of you, little faith, just look up to Christ. Look up to me, the one that provides for everything. But he's not scolding us, but encouraging us to look to Christ. He's encouraging us today, don't be worried about these things, but look to Jesus. Jesus is saying, look to me to provide for all of these things. That he's able to provide for every last one of these. He's able to provide what we eat, what we wear, all of that to the very end. A beautiful story that I think illustrates this is, is the story of, of George Muller with, with the orphanage that he had. So George Muller had this orphanage that sometimes he could have as many as 2,000 orphans at a time. In fact, he cared for over 10,000 orphans over his lifetime. But here's the thing. He never let anyone know of the orphanage's needs. But he would bring them to God in prayer. In fact, the only time people would know about the needs of the orphanage is when he would give out his annual reports after the fact. And that was after the fact that God had provided for every last one of those needs. In fact, an even greater thing, we can look at journals that he had. And Mueller had over 50,000 specific recorded prayers answered in his journal. In fact, 30,000 of those 50,000 prayers were answered either the same day or within the same hour that he prayed that. And here's just two specific ways. Just, it was answered in that day. That was so incredible how we see that God can provide for us even to the most minute detail. There was one day where he had 300 kids in the orphanage and they were all dressed and ready to go to school. And the lady said, all right, well, we don't have any breakfast for them. We don't have anything for them. So George said, hey, sit all of them down in the dining room and we're going to sit down. So he gets all 300 kids in the dining room and he sits down and he prays to God, God, thank you for this food that you've provided for us. When there's nothing before them. And they waited. And a few minutes later, they hear a knock on the door. And it's actually a baker. And he's saying, George, I just, I felt last night, I couldn't sleep last night. I just felt like you needed bread this morning. So I woke up early this morning and I baked three loaves of bread. Can I bring them in for you? Well, absolutely, and provided that. And then just a little while later, they hear another knock on the door. And a milkman, his cart broke down in front of the orphanage. 
And he said, hey, I'm, my, milk broke, my milk cart broke down and, and I need to get the wheel fixed. By the time they come and fix the wheel, then uh, the milk's going to be spoiled. So d- do you and your orphanage want free milk? He said, absolutely. And it was just enough to provide for all of the thirsty children that day. Mueller had, had faith, he had confidence, knowing that God would provide for all of the needs because he brought it to God. He brought it before God, knowing that God would provide all of their needs. We see that God will provide for us in the present. God provides for us every single day that we need it. It might not be exactly how he envisioned or pictured it, but he provides every day for us. But then we see the next thing. God not only provides for us in the present, but then we see the second truth in this is that God, um, is that God knows what we need. God knows what we need. God knows what we need. So we look in verse 31. Again, Jesus reiterates this. Therefore, do not be anxious. He's reemphasizing what he said in verse 25. He's reemphasizing this command of do not be anxious. Look, he's provided for you even in the present. He provides for the birds of the air and the grasses of the field. So do not be anxious. So he's showing us these things. And then he mentions next, look, even the Gentiles seek after this. So look what it says in verse 32. For even the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So again, to give a little historical background to this, is that these Gentiles are seeking after these things. We've seen before how they were uh, raising up lofty prayers and lofty language, hoping their gods would hear them. Well, this time as well, these Greco-Roman deities that these Gentiles would worship, is they were always worried about how these gods would react. These gods would be very arbitrary in how they would respond. They'd be very, it'd be up to kind of the gods what or how much they would provide. And the Gentiles always worried, did I offer enough? Did I sacrifice enough? Is it enough for the gods to even hear me and be benevolent towards me? And so here's the thing. They said the Gentiles are seeking after these things, but us, we know that that is not how it is with our Heavenly Father. In fact, we have a sacrifice that is enough. And our sacrifice came in the work and person of Jesus Christ. That that is always enough. We don't ever have to worry if that's enough. Because God provided that sacrifice for us that we could not provide. That we repent and believe in Christ and receive salvation from Him. We are now in Christ. We're beloved children of God. And we enjoy all the benefits of being crucified with Christ and Him living through us. We get to enjoy all the benefits of being citizens of heaven. Again, this has nothing to do with anything we have done. It has nothing to do with how awesome or worthy we are. It has everything to do with how worthy and righteous and awesome Christ is. It has everything to do with what He has done and us repenting of anything we try to do and believing in that and resting in His finished work. That He's able to provide everything for us, both spiritual and physical. A beautiful promise we can see is in Philippians 4.19 where Paul says, And my God will supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory, in Christ Jesus. So we see this. God provides everything we need, both lovingly and abundantly. God provides everything we need, both lovingly and abundantly. 
It's not like God's just kind of holding this back like a, like a Scrooge McDuck, like, no, you cannot have this. No, it says he lavishes his grace upon us. That he provides all of our needs. That we have the inexhaustible riches of heaven for those that are in Christ Jesus. And it shows that your heavenly Father knows all that you need. It shows that he knows all that you need. But then again, Jesus follows it up with another command that we're to see in verse 33. That he knows all that we need. Then we see this in verse 33. He says, look, you don't worry about where you're going to get for the day or where you'll eat or where you'll drink or what you'll wear. For even the Gentiles seek after these things. And then he says this in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. So that is another command that he's giving us. So we see the first command at the beginning of verse 25. Do not be anxious about anything. Then he reiterates that in verse 31, do not be anxious. He's saying, okay, instead of being anxious, all right, the way we are to not be anxious, the way we're able to obey that command is if we obey this command that we see in verse 33. But seek God. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. That is what we are to do first. Again, this is what the Sermon on the Mount has been all about this whole time. Way back when, when he started the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 4, where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. It was talking about those that recognize their spiritual poverty, how they have nothing they can offer to Christ, and they need Christ. When they recognize that before God, how spiritually poor they are, then they receive more of God. Or we see in Matthew 5, 20, when Jesus said, Hey, look, your righteousness must be greater, exceed even that of the Pharisees that you look up to. They would say, well, that's impossible. That's right, it is impossible, but not impossible to Christ. Because it is His righteousness that we are to bestow upon ourselves. It's to recognize that we cannot do this on our own strength. We repent and believe in Him. It's His righteousness. It's Him working in and through us. It's not anything to do about in our power. But it's God working in and through us. It's us repenting, turning to Him, and surrendering our lives to Him. The kingdom of heaven and his righteousness are found in the person and work of Christ. So we must place Christ first. We must place Christ first. If we're to, do, if we're to live any of these things out, the Beatitudes, if we're to obey these commands, if we're to give properly, to pray properly, to fast properly, to not have our allegiance split between earthly things and heavenly things, if we're to not be anxious about anything, then we must place Christ first. We must place him first. But again, the beautiful thing is anything that Christ commands us, he gives us the grace to do. Anything Christ commands us, he has lived that on himself and then gives us the grace to do that. And then it says in this, at the end of verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of heaven, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things. His righteousness is bestowed upon us. Us living out the Beatitudes. Us obeying all these new commands He gives us. Us having complete loyalty to God. Us not worrying about anything, but having faith in God will provide. That's what happens when we seek first the kingdom of God. So let me ask you this. That begs the question. Are you placing Christ first in your life? Is he the clear-cut, number one in everything of your life? Is he sitting on the throne of your heart? Are you placing Christ first in every area of your life? 
Not just certain areas, not just certain days that you give over to him, but every single day, every single aspect of your life, everything. Are you seeking after Christ above everything else in the world? Or let me ask you this. Are you clinging more to your worries? Or are you clinging more to the cross? Are you clinging more to the worries that are surrounding you? Or are you clinging to the cross of Christ that is a sure and steady anchor through whatever we face in this world? Because God provides for us in the present. God knows everything that we need. And then we see this last beautiful truth is that God provides for us in the future. God provides for us in the future. So we see, okay, God provides for us in the present. So he said, therefore, do not be anxious about your life because if he's able to provide just even for the birds of the air and the grass of the fields that are so temporary, how much more will he provide for you? That God knows everything you need. And then we see this in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. This is the third and final command that he gives us. We are to not be anxious about tomorrow. This type of sentiment comes from James 3, 13 through 14, where it says, don't try to make plans. Saying, I'm going to go in town this day and do these plans and do these things, because you don't know if you're going to do those things. Ultimately, God knows what's going to happen. God knows these things are going to happen, but don't try to make plans in your own strength and assume that you're going to do these things, because our life is like a mist. It's like a vapor that is here today and gone tomorrow and vanishes. But instead, we are to seek God above everything else. That we should see that if God is able to handle today, then that should give us confidence that he's able to handle tomorrow. That if God is able to handle the here and now, then he's able to handle the then and there. That seeing how God provided for us today gives us confidence that he'll provide for us tomorrow. So we saw we place God first, but when we place God first, he will provide our needs. We place God first, he will provide for our needs. I mean, just think about what we looked at in the Lord's Prayer. We looked at the Lord's Prayer and, and Jesus was saying, look, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then in verse 11, it says, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. He's not saying give us tomorrow's bread. He's not saying give us next week's bread. Give us next month's bread. Give us next year's bread. He's just saying, give me enough for today. Just give me enough for today to give me through the day because that's all that I need. Because it's all we do need. That we understand when God can provide for us today, then we won't worry about tomorrow and saying, look, the bread you gave me today is enough. But let me ask you this. Are you wasting today's bread on tomorrow's worries? Are you wasting today's provisions on tomorrow's worries, on next week's worries, on next month's worries, next year's worries? Are you worrying so much about tomorrow that it's affecting you, affecting you negatively today? Is that the case in your life? Because look, this is what he says in verse 34. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day, it's its own trouble. He said, look, like today already has enough troubles of its own, doesn't it? Today already has enough going. Like there's already enough on our plate for today. So if there's already enough on our plate today, why are we trying to look to tomorrow and add stuff for tomorrow on today's plate? He said, look, today, already, today is already enough trouble, so sufficient for you today is God's provision for you today. But again, however, this passage isn't just saying that we don't do anything. It's not saying that we don't do anything. It's not saying, okay, since God's going to provide for us every single day and what we'll wear and what we'll eat 
and everything like that. It's not saying we just wake up and say, all right, God, like I'm waiting for that manna from heaven you're going to drop. All right, God, I'm going to go into my closet and I just want you to pick out my outfit for the day. Now, there's a responsibility on our end to live out these things too. That we're to live in confidence that God provides for us and we take what God provides for us and we work for today and we also work for tomorrow. But here's a key difference that we got to see is we work towards the future, but we don't worry about the future. That we work towards the future, but we don't worry about the future. Why? Because we know that God's going to be there in the future too. So we're going to work today. We're going to have confidence that we'll be able to have enough for tomorrow. Why? Because we know God ultimately will provide for us. Us as followers of Christ are not supposed to worry about what the future holds. That we know that God will provide for us, even on a small daily basis. Here's just one key example of I know how God provided for all of us even today, is that we woke up this morning. All of us were able to open up our eyes and lift our heads off our pillows. All of us were able to open our eyes and see the world around us. All of us were able to, oh, God, open up our ears so we can hear the beauty of his creation around us. He gave us the energy to be able to get out of bed and, and go to school as much as we might not want to go to school, but give us the strength to go to school and get through the day and get through work and get through sports. And he's going to give us the rest to go home and rest for tonight and wake up the next morning. The fact that he woke us up this morning is just one way that he provides for us. So we see that. We see that he provides for us today. We have confidence for tomorrow. But also something that helps us a lot is when we know what the future holds, doesn't it? How many would love to know what the future holds? Like how many would love to know like just how things are going to play out? I think a lot of us would. I think a lot of us, let's say if we know like the ending of the story, like we know how this is going to finish, it helps us a lot today, doesn't it? Like anybody ever watched like a really good superhero movie and you just know the ending? So when you know the ending, when you rewatch, let's say that same video or that same movie, you look back and say, okay, I, I know it's difficult right here. I know this scene looks really rough. Or I know right now in this moment, it looks like all hope is lost. But just hold out. Just hope. Just hold on because there is a great ending to this. There is an incredible ending to this. And they're able to watch in confidence. You don't, you don't watch and worry. You don't wait and worry saying, oh, what's going to happen? Because when you know the ending of the story, it helps you be able to watch the rest of the movie. That regardless of how much, how crazy different scenes will play out, you know that the end of the story is so worth it. Here's the beautiful thing about us as Christians. We know the end of the story. We know how this ends and plays out. We know that in the end, Christ wins. We know that in the end, he will, he will right every wrong. He will know in the end, he will, he will dry up every tear that we've cried. He know in the end that, that none of this will last. That he is what is forever. So if we know that he is at the end, and if we know that he is going to right every wrong, and if we know the ending of the story, that Christ wins, then that helps us right now. We know since Christ has provided the ending for us, he also provides for us today too. We're able to live for him today. We're able to point others to him today. And that is such a beautiful encouragement. Think about this. Christ is not only at the finish line waiting for us to cross and waiting for us to say, well, for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, but he is with us even today. He's with us every step of the way, giving us strength. Christ is with us at our most difficult days just as much as he is with us in our most just fantastic, awesome days. And everything in between. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when he saved us, 
He indwelt in our hearts and He is with us every step of the way, strengthening us, encouraging us, helping us live for Him, helping us surrender more of our lives over to Him so we can make His name known more. And He gives us strength the rest of the day, provides for us every single day to where we can look back and see how faithful He's been. But then also we can cross that finish line where He's been waiting and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what happens when we seek Christ first. That is the Savior that we have faith in. That is the Savior who has saved us and that we can worship, that we worshiped tonight over the course of singing these songs and listening to His Word. Then we know that. We know the ending of the story. We know how much He provides for today and tomorrow. Then we are not to be anxious about anything. That helps make all these worries we see today just so much minor, so much more minuscule in comparison. So let me ask you this. Do you have complete faith in God? Do you have this complete faith in God? To kind of help answer that question more, let me ask a few more questions. Do you have faith that he will provide for you today? Do you have faith that he is enough for today? Or do you bring all of your worries to him? No matter how major or minor it is, do you bring all of your worries to him? And lastly, do you have faith that God holds your future in His hands? Do you have faith in, look, I, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who's giving me the next breath in my lungs. I know who's going to wake me up in the morning. I know that. So I can trust Him. I can trust Him. Do you have complete faith in God? That when you have complete faith in God by His grace, then you will not be anxious about anything. You will not be anxious about anything, but instead you'll be able to seek first the kingdom of God. And you'll be able to point others to him and make Christ's name known. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we are just so thankful for you. We'll thank for you for just the provision of your son. How, how you just provide for us every single day. How we're able to wake up this morning because of you. How we're able to take the next breath in our lungs because of you. How we're able to blink because of you. How we'll be able to, let's say, get up out of our chairs after this because of you. How we'll be able to get home because of you. How we'll be able to go to these schools and do all these things and point people to you only because of you. How you're able to handle the tinier things, but also the greatest thing. How our greatest need, our greatest provision was we needed reconciliation. And you provided that with your son, his sacrifice on the cross. And that is what our hope is held in, that it is safely secured, that it secures us eternally. And we know the end of the story, that in the end, Christ wins, and so that helps us in the here and now. So would you help us even today, when it's so easy for us to get bogged down by everything going on around us, when it's so easy for us to get caught up in what's happening at school and work and sports and just in our own lives, would you just help us, by your grace, turn it over to you? to seek you first, to place everything over in your sovereign hands. That we would seek first the kingdom of God, that you would help us be kingdom-minded in everything and to point others to you as only you can. I thank you just for all of this, dear Lord Jesus. It's in your holy, precious, sufficient name we pray. Amen.